I'm Michael Levitin, and this is episode eight of The Tell. So when I was in high school and college, it was common for me to hear someone refer to their crush as mysterious, and I hated this. I hated hearing mystery referred to as a positive quality or an attractive quality. Uh, My bitter, resentful teenage heart had a special hatred reserved for (laughs) people who described their crushes as mysterious. So at the time, it had never occurred to me that it could be positive, um, that maybe someone was shy or maybe someone was private or reserving their intimate details about their life for someone special, that that's a cool thing. I thought if you were mysterious, it was because you were hiding things about yourself. You were hiding your stupidity or that you were a jerk or your general like boringness. Um, And that really, to me, the challenge of relationships was revealing yourself and having people fall in love with you for who you are, not getting people to project things on this blank (laughs) canvas that you have provided them with. Um, So that was the challenge. Uh, And, you know, I believed that the more I revealed myself, the more enigmatic and interesting I would become, uh, which was turned out blatantly untrue. So, (laughs) uh, but, you know, um, I eventually figured out why people like mystery. But uh, the stories in this episode um, by Davy Volner and Maisha Battle involve some seductively mysterious characters, some who get more interesting the more you know, and some who don't. Uh, but this reminds me of a song lyric I wrote when I was 20, when I was still enraged by this idea of mystery is attractive. I wrote the lyric, Some prefer the curtain to the show. This is episode 8 of The Tell. received an anonymous letter in the mail. No return address, typewritten envelope, in which uh, the sender, identifying themselves only as a friend, claimed that my ex-fiance, to whom I had not spoken in two and a half years, had, while we were together, been cheating on me for some time with a good friend. Now, Nothing could be more implausible or, in fact, absurd than this. First off, most offensive to me, the letter was so badly written. I mean, the incoherence was positively Trumpian. Uh, Moreover, look, this, this was all well in the past at this point. Only an insane person would write an anonymous letter after all this time, and an insane person, in all likelihood, was just making it up. Granted, it had been uh, a bad breakup, uh, so bad that I had actually had a brief spin through the psych ward. But even that, with the passage of ah, you know how it is. Time goes by, and it resolves to just a bit of barbed cocktail banter. I like to say that ours was the Baz Luhrmann's Great Gatsby of breakups. It made no sense, went on way too long, and ended with some guy in a mental hospital. It's gallows humor. You can, you can laugh. Um, the point is, it was all blood under the bridge, and uh, with all that had happened, uh, it seemed impossible that there was some thing still hanging out there, some unknown. No, no question. The letter was baloney. So I called up the friend who was mentioned in it just to sort of giggle about it with him and discovered that it was true. 
The novelist G.K. Chesterton once wrote, I paraphrase badly, uh, perhaps the world only ever shows its back to us. What a thing, I thought to myself. What an incredible mystery. What other things about our own lives don't we know? And behind every mystery is there perhaps only another. After all, I still didn't know who had written the letter. Months go by, and I find myself at Disneyland, like you do. Uh, it was for work. That, and I was dating a woman in Los Angeles at the time, and we wanted to go someplace where we wouldn't be seen by her boyfriend. Uh, <clears throat> uh, the following day, I get a text message that is just a photograph of a painting of Disneyland as a sort of post-apocalyptic wreck. If you remember that Banksy installation from a little while back, it was like that, but different, different artist. Stranger still was the sender, just an email address. Whiteladyinbotswana at gmail.com. <laughs> so I wrote back and said, I'm sorry, who is this? And they wrote back and said, yesterday, Disneyland. And I wrote back and said, yeah. And what this person, white lady in Botswana, went on to claim was that she had met me at Disneyland, met the woman whom she identified by name as my lady friend, spoken to us both, been given my phone number by me, and had with me, and I quote, a real connection. Now, neither me nor my companion that afternoon recalled speaking to anyone at Disneyland. Uh, each of us had posted perhaps one Instagram photo apiece, but we carefully spaced them out so that only the most diligent online stalker would possibly have been able to put us in the same place at the same time. Uh, uh, there were perhaps three or four close friends who knew we were there, and I assumed it was probably one of them just having me on. So I pressed this person to tell me who they really were. But the more I pressed, the stranger and the darker the text messages became. They began making outlandish claims about themselves, as for example, that, well, they had met somebody that afternoon who, who had begun texting them, but they didn't remember meeting that guy, so perhaps it was only natural that I'd forgotten meeting her. They made additional claims about me, equally outrageous, but some of them, frankly, pretty accurate, betraying some knowledge about my own life and history. It became increasingly evident that this was no friend of mine. This was somebody with the means and the motive to really go meddling around in my private life. Somebody, in fact, very much, perhaps, like the person who had written the anonymous letter. So, whereas any sane person would, at this point, have blocked them and be done with, I got on the case. <laughs> I did some really great Googling, and what I discovered is that some months before in Los Angeles, there had been a photography exhibition called White Lady in Botswana. The email address was the RSVP line for the opening. The photographer, who had traveled through sub-Saharan Africa, whose work was shown in this exhibition, uh, well, for the purposes of this story, we shall call her Nikita Bulishlova. <laughs> It's, believe me, it's weirder in life. Uh, Nikita, Nikita, her primary activity is not as a photographer, but as an actress. And she's a reasonably accomplished one with any number of film and television shows to her credit. You've probably seen some of them. Uh, she's better known perhaps for the leading Hollywood men she's dated than uh, her work on stage and screen. But still, uh, a very glamorous, exceedingly beautiful person. And for one wonderful minute, I think, yes. 
my stalker is a glamorous Hollywood starlet. <laughs> and then I realized, no, somebody's obviously just hacked her email. Still, I think if I could only get a hold of the beautiful and glamorous Nikita Bolishlova, <clears throat> perhaps I would be one step closer to solving one mystery, maybe two. So I ring up my one and only bona fide Hollywood actor friend. And I tell him the story to date, and I ask him, do you know Nikita Bulishlova? He doesn't, but he goes through the Hollywood grapevine, and inside of 24 hours, I have got a text from Nikita Bulishlova. I tell her the story to date, and the first thing she says is, hmm, I bet I know who it is. My personal assistant is a little crazy. <laughs> Enter Beth, the personal assistant. <laughs> Nikita confronts Beth and says, have you been texting some random writer guy from New York saying you met him at Disneyland? Beth instantly confesses all, is so humiliated at being exposed as my mystery texter that she falls into some kind of total psychological tailspin, ends up at Cedar sinai Hospital. Nikita, feeling somehow responsible for this, flies to her side. I'm getting all of this by text from Nikita. Uh, there begins now a three-way text conversation between me and Nikita, me and my actor friend, and my actor friend and Nikita, I, now my actor friend, and, and I can't tell you his name, but suffice it to say, he appears in a cable drama in which his character, I think, could be described as like a dark, brooding loner who under that has all these secret, unfulfilled, romantic yearnings. This is totally against type. In life, he is just romantic yearnings, as far as the eye can see, and then under that, he's kind of a brooding loner, but the point is, he becomes convinced that all of this has happened for no better reason than for him to meet and marry the beautiful and glamorous Nikita Bulishlova. He begins mining me for information by text, little questions to feed her. She, in turn, is charmed because he's very charming, but also alarmed that this man she doesn't know is trying to pick her up in the middle of a crisis. She's asking me questions about him. I am stuck in the middle playing some kind of text double agent Cyrano de Bergerac, and all I want to know is who the fuck is Beth and why is she texting me and does this have anything to do with anything else needless to say I'm loving every second of this it carries on for weeks until finally at last I find myself at Disney World for, for, for work um, and uh, Nikita finally sends me a photograph featuring herself, Nikita, and Beth, a short-statured Asian girl who just, as I'd been saying, I have never clapped eyes on in my life. I tell Nikita as much, and Nikita, <coughs> Nikita says, well, you know, there are lots of pictures in my Instagram of the two of us together from last year when that photograph was taken. Uh, why don't you look through elsewhere in the feed? Maybe there are other photos she thought perhaps it would jog my memory. So I go to look into Nikita's Instagram only to find that I am blocked uh, I figured Beth must have monkeyed with it before she landed in the booby hatch. So I text Nikita telling her that I am blocked. And then Nikita gets spooky. She says, oh, well, um, actually, my social media accounts are managed by my publicist. And my publicist is charged with identifying and blocking potential stalkers. Davey, are, are you a stalker? Did you and your actor friend set this whole thing up to get close to me? Did you egg Beth on to do this somehow? I can't talk to you anymore. This conversation is over. And that's it. I'm cut off. 
I think this is the best development yet. I mean, here's me, the stock E being accused of being the stalker. I am more committed than ever to getting to the bottom of this. So I get back from Orlando and I borrow a friend's phone and I'm going through Nikita's Instagram looking for images, as she said, about the same time last year of her with Beth. I don't see any photos of Beth anywhere in Nikita's feed, but through an elaborate research endeavor, admittedly kind of stalkerish itself, <laughs> I, I managed to piece together the, the whole social network, the timelines. I find other photos of Beth. There's just one problem. Beth's name is Kara. Kara is a Chinese-American actress who spends most of the year in Hong Kong, very successful from the looks of it, not even really friends with Nikita. One thing she definitely isn't is Nikita's personal assistant. The photograph of the two of them together that Nikita had told me was taken the previous year was taken the night before she sent it to me. There is no Beth. No crazy personal assistant, no Cedar sinai the whole thing has been made up by the glamorous and beautiful Nikita Bulishlava. And we were left wondering why. Well, we all had theories. The only thing that we could really hang on to was that throughout all of this, Nikita had been appearing in a stage play, performing it mostly at bars around Los Angeles. She'd co-created it. It was a kind of experimental deal. A lot of improvised dialogue drawing on real-life experiences. What if all of this was some kind of research expedition. I was a guinea pig to gin up material for her play. I'm asking everybody I know in Southern California to go see this play. Finally, months later, my actor friend goes. And he sits through the performance, none of which really seems to jive with our experience, but afterwards, he corners Nikita. And he says, hey. And she recognizes him. And she says, hey. I think your friend Davey is a little crazy. And right at this moment, when the obvious thing for my actor friend to say was, well, we think you're crazy because we know that you made this whole thing up and we want to know why. <laughs> what my actor friend says instead is, yeah, he is. <laughs> so Nikita, what are you doing later? Because she blows him off, and that's it. He scotched it. I realized that if this is going to get figured out, I'm going to have to be the one to do it. So months later, I finally get back to L.A. for work, but I go right back on the case. I am doing my best Elliot Gould in the long goodbye impersonation. I am going around to all of the places and the photos and where she performed the show. I am talking up bartenders over gin gimlets going, uh, say, pal, uh, you ever know a Russian-American actress used to come in here, called herself Nikita? The bartenders are ready for this. They're going, I don't know, Mac, how much is it worth to you? It's Hollywood. They're all out-of-work actors. They have been waiting for this moment for their entire lives. But they don't know anything. Nothing. So I screw my courage to the sticking place, and for the first time, and it's been nearly a year now since all of this started, for the first time in many moons, I call Nikita. Straight to voicemail. I don't hear anything back for about 48 hours. And then I get a text message from a no-reply automated text service informing me that the number that I attempted to contact 
uh, is connected with a phone that is now in the possession of the Maryland Department of Health and Mental Hygiene, and that if the patient wishes to communicate with me, I will be given another contact, and none of our messages will be submissible in a court of law, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I'm horrified. I mean, bear in mind, I've been dining out on this story at this point for a while, <laughs> thinking I, I am in pursuit of a great mystery. And now I realize, what if there's somebody at the heart of this mystery who's really in a lot of pain? And I feel dreadful for about two hours. <laughs> and then my actor friend calls me. He's seen Nikita's Instagram. She is in the Hollywood Hills with her pug and has been for days. Of course she's not in a mental hospital in Maryland. I was in a mental hospital. They don't send text messages to anybody who calls you telling them you're in a mental hospital. It was just another red herring, another blind alley. And ever since then, friends and strangers have encouraged me to engage a real private detective or uh, take my story to public radio, get Ira Glass to figure it out for me. Um, but you know, I don't think I will. I'm, I'm gonna bank this one. I'm, I'm gonna save this mystery up for a rainy day. It comforts me so to know it's still hanging around out there. Seriously, I think that such mysteries are therapeutic. They serve, they arrive at sort of key moments in our lives to remind us that life is uh, not, neither so good nor so bad as it appears. The, the one illusion can lead us quickly into disappointment and the other into folly. The truth is that life is neither good nor bad. It is just totally, ineluctably strange and unknowable. In 2012, I broke up with a long-term boyfriend, and a few months later, it was that critical, like, six-month period where I hadn't had sex in a really long time, to me. That's what it felt like. And so every time I was going out, I was really like, you know, what's going to happen? You know the feeling. Um, so I met up with some friends uh, at the Ace Hotel bar. We're drinking Greyhounds. I remember getting people on that. And uh, many rounds were bought. And the night's progressing, and, you know, there's a lot of douchebags. So we needed to leave that place. That was evident. And someone had joined us who knew of a party, like a, you know, once-a-month party downtown in Manhattan. And uh, it was a gay party. So we go, and they're like, you know, it's just one time. It's really crazy. You know, people are like, it's this downstairs basement area and everybody's smoking and it's just a great time. 
So I'm thinking, like, I'm not going to get laid there. But, you know, I'll just dance the night away. I'm already, like, properly buzzed. So um, we go downtown. It's a big group of us and buying drinks. And we do go down to this basement party. And everyone is smoking, as promised, so I'm happy. And, you know, dancing around and everything. And I look across the room. And there's this, like, really sultry-looking dude we kind of clock each other, and he kind of comes over, and we start dancing, and um, you know, really like amazing like vibe between me and this guy. And I'm thinking this is odd um, that this is happening here, but uh, we just kind of lock in, we get in the moment, and start making out on the dance floor, and this is not typical Maisha behavior. And all of my friends who know I'm, I'm, you know, I've been on the hunt are kind of surprised by this, but whatever, like, we're into it. And I'm like, I'll just go where the night takes me, and I do. So this guy's like, let's go. I'm like, all right. So we go upstairs, and I'm about to leave with this guy, and, you know, we start kind of talking about what's going to happen. Now, at the time, I was living in Greenpoint, and I had a studio apartment. And I'm thinking, this is a total stranger, guy that just met tonight. I'm not comfortable bringing him back home to my place because I don't want him to know where I live. And uh, so I'm like, where, you know, where do you live right now? He's like, I'm in the Bronx. So I'm like, all right, um, do you have any roommates? He's like, yeah, I have, I have one. And I was like, all right. The, this is probably the extent of our conversation, by the way, at this point. It's just, where do you live and like, who do you live with? And I'm like, all right, all right, just wait here. I'm going to go get my friend Paul. Um, Because at that moment, I wanted, in my drunken state, I wanted someone to see this man's face, like, full on, and, like, meet him, and just, like, know if something happened to me, like, to give a description to the police. And um, so... I go down and like find my friend Paul and I'm like, I'm going home with this guy, but like you gotta look at him. And I'm like, Paul is shit face too. So, you know, uh, I don't know what I was trying to achieve there, but I was like, this is what I need to do to be safe. So I drag Paul up there and the guy is like drinking a beer at the bar. And uh, I introduced them, it was the most awkward introduction ever. And they shake hands. Um, <laughs> And then I'm like, okay, now we can go. So he's on board with this whole thing. So Paul leaves, you know, and I'm like, so we'll get a cab to the Bronx. And at the time I had a really good paying job and I was like, I'll pay for it, no, no problem. So we get into the cab and we're making out again, like pretty hardcore. And, you know, things are like going way beyond making out in the backseat of a cab. And I'm like, this is fucking hot, this is awesome. Because, you know, I'm also this is the first time I'm having sex since my last long-term boyfriend who was not, like, sexually adventurous at all. Really lovely person, but just, you know, not, like, a passionate lovemaker. And I'm like, this guy totally is, you know, this is going to be good. So we get to his apartment, and uh, I don't know where I am, and my battery on my phone is really low. I have no idea. Like, I just go there. And it's one of these, like, really old buildings, um, you know, the slow elevator. There's kind of, like, maybe some trash in the hallway kind of thing. And I'm like, all right, whatever. Um, 
I've been in worse places. So uh, we go up to his apartment, and he's like, you have to be really quiet. I was like, okay. We go in, and I see, like, a mound on the couch. And I ask him, I was like, is that your roommate? And he just drags me into what I, you know, what I will learn is his room. He drags me into this room, and he's like, it's my mother. And I say, your mother is your roommate. Like, just to clarify. And there's no roommate. It's, it's your mom. He's like, it's my mother, yeah. So I'm like, I'm in the Bronx. I don't know where I am, and I really need to get laid. So I'm going to pull through and just go through with this. But the room that he's dragged me into... Um, which is his bedroom, has no door at all. And uh, I'm like, what are we going to do about this situation? There's, there's no door at all. And he's like, well, I typically, I, I, you know, when I'm ready to go to sleep, I put up a blanket. And so uh, we, are, you know, he finds the blanket, which is like one of those like fluffy blankets, probably has like a lion on it, you know? one of those big guys. And so he's like, help me put it up. I'm like, all right. So we're putting the blanket up. There's like, you know, some hooks or whatever. And we're putting the thing up. And I'm like, you know, this is crazy, but whatever, you're really hot. Um, And he was, he was really hot. And uh, so, you know, we're things are getting really hot and heavy. And I was like, you know, I'm uh, not going to fuck you without a condom you know, do you have condoms? And he's, like, rummaging around. And it's like, no, I don't. So I'm like, all right, let me check my stash. And he's like, oh, you have condoms? And uh, I said, yeah, I think I've got at least one, you know. I'm just, you know, rummaging. And he's like, are you a slut? <laughs> and I said, I'm a single woman. And so there was this awkward moment of just, like, where do we proceed from, from there? Because you just called me a slut, but you want to fuck me. So, um, again, I, I know what I've gotten into. I've invested a very expensive cab ride into this experience, and I've been lied to and called a slut at this point. But again... I'm there for a cause. So I push through. <laughs> because we do have protection. Luckily, I am the slutty person who brought condoms. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we have the kind of sex that's just, like, no rules. Like, just fucking amazing. Just crazy unbridled because both of us clearly were in need of that. Um, there's like, you know, maybe some slapping, and I was like, not the face. Um, just rough, just really, really rough, but fun, you know, that kind of, that kind of sex. So um, that happens, and there's the point after where, I mean, it's late at night, we're both drunk, and he turns to me and he goes, did I meet you in a gay bar? I was like, yes, like, do you, like, you really had no clue. And he's like, I just, I kind of wandered in there after hanging out with some friends. And I'm thinking, no, you didn't, you know, no, I'm not, you know, whatever, whatever. I just 
withhold judgment because people are who, you know, people are. And uh, so we continue talking and a lot of emotional stuff comes out on his side. Like he was in the military. Um, It seems like he may have, I mean, this is all me pulling together things from a drunken night. So I know there was a mention of like maybe a previous drug addiction Um, and then him going into the military as a way to sort of reform his life. And, you know, that explains he's just like fucking cut from marble. Like this man is just like, he's petite, but he is like a fucking shit stack. He's just amazing. And I'm like, okay, okay, you know. And he goes, you should stay. Like, just stay over. He's really enjoying my company. And I was like, that's wasn't really part of the deal <laughs> like I you know I I'm this is really fun um but you know this was also not as it was billed you know your mother is in the other room and I can't guarantee that she didn't like get up at some point like I think she got up to go to the bathroom like while we were fucking I anyway um so I'm talking to him about this and I'm like what do you think is going to happen if I stay over, you know, is she going to make me breakfast in the morning? Like, how's that going to play out for you, you know, and us in this situation? I'm really trying to be logical about it and feeling like we probably both got, you know, we, we, were, we were both bargaining for the same thing, but apparently not. And uh, so I'm like, no, I'm, I'm going to go home. I'm going to go home to my house. And he says, you're just like the rest of them. And so now I'm into some deep emotional shit where, you know, women have maybe come into his life and had this happen to him and, you know, whatever. And, you know, I'm like, I got to go. Like, this needs to end. But there's more, like, emotional talking. And um, finally, I'm like, you know, it's late. I really, I really need to go. So um, I get up, you know, finding of the clothes and everything and... Uh, I'm walking towards the door, and he was like, you really should stay. You really should stay. And it's getting really, really intense to the point where I'm walking out, and he positions himself between me and the door. And he's just like, I can't believe you're doing this. I just really can't believe you're doing this to me right now. Like, this is, you're just, you're, you're leaving me. And... I was like, yes, that's exactly what's happening. Like, I, I, I am going. And the only thing really keeping me, like, there was a moment of panic, obviously. This is a very strong man, and he's between me and the door that's separating me from doing anything. And finally he moves, and I leave. And, yeah, the only, the only thought I had in that moment of potentially being harmed or trapped in this situation with this guy was that his fucking mom was there. So if he would have tried anything, like, we would have woken her up and she would have intervened in some way. I don't even know how, but, you know. So I leave and I'm in the Bronx and my phone is dead. And I have no idea where the fuck I am. So I just kind of start walking and I walk towards what I, you know, what is a landmark that is you know, lit, you know, brightly lit, which is a hospital. And I just walked straight into the hospital lobby, a fucking hot mess, like just shit tore up. Um, and 
the front desk, I just walked straight up to the, first, the front desk person. I was like, could you call me a car? Is that, could you do that for me? And he's like, you need a car? Like, I was like, my phone died, and I was at my friend's house. I'm like, you know, it's five in the morning, so, like, I don't know. Um, so he's like, yeah, we, we have a service, and we can call you a car. So uh, he calls me a car. He's a very kind man. And a uh, taxi pulls up. I tell him I'm going back to Greenpoint, and he's like, so what were you doing at the hospital and I was like oh my friend like I was visiting my friend and it just got really late and like you know so he's whatever he's either assumed that I was visiting a friend in the hospital at five in the morning or he knew that I was in some trouble and needed some help and he takes me back to Greenpoint um, where I get back and I look at myself in the mirror my eyes are bloodshot my lips are swollen from all of the making out and, um, you know, I realized that I tried to do everything the best way that I knew how in that situation. And there's really, you know, nothing you can do except rely on your intuition and hope for the best when you need to get laid. Take it off of me 
We'll live this way forever I'll make you the fairest babe that's ever been da, da, da. That was a live performance by Elvis Perkins, his song, The Passage of the Black Jean. And before that, you heard stories by Davey Volner and Maisha Battle. Um, this music I'm speaking over is another version of our theme song, Written by a Fool. This one has Chris Egan on drums, John Coward on keyboards. You can hear his Farfisa solo. <laughs> uh, Matt Botter on horns and Ian Underwood on bass. And soon, Dina Rudine will be singing... I want to thank all the usual characters, Gabriel Galvin for co-producing the telepodcast and all of these uh, versions of the theme song, Uh, Natalia Schween for co-producing the live event, and the next installment of the Tell live event is Monday, May 22nd at the Jane Hotel Ballroom. Uh, You can find out more about seeing this in person at thetellstories.com. Thanks for listening. This was episode eight of the Tell.
Blüten, Parfüm. <lacht> 